A final wrap on the East Asia Pacific qualifier, the future of cricket in the region, and a word on the broadcast. European qualifier action, the Asian Games, and Namibia's progress to the Under-19 Cricket World Cup. All that and more on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Welcome in to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, live and on Sport FM in Perth. Daniel Beswick alongside Nick Skinner this week. Again, reluctant to call this one the big 200, but uh, I think the ship might have sailed. And just the... It's like her having three 29th birthdays. Yeah, we could, do a, we could do a celebration of 200 pods, 200 plus a few, uh, when we've got all three of us together at some point. Just hasn't... We haven't been able to kind of link up all three of us together with a bunch of things going on, as we will discuss uh, on this week's show. But joined by you this week, Nick, uh, how's things in Iceland? I've seen you explore uh, volcanoes and you're off and away again on another trip this week. Uh, How is the life of Nick Skinner going at the moment? Well, it's a busy time. Uh, The house is a bit of a mess. We're packing because... We're going to be in Denmark for six months. The Danish government, after taking our money, did at least uh, let us into the country, so that's nice. Um, yeah, so currently just uh, clothes strewn everywhere, you know, bags open with stuff spilling out and <laughs> just trying to trying to shove everything into, you know, not quite enough space. Uh, I'm, I'm sure a, a lot of people are familiar with that and you, of course, have to uh, clean the apartment because we're subletting it. So yeah, we, we want it to be in good condition for our for our tenant. Um, but yeah, so yeah, busy, busy, busy. Uh, flying out on Thursday. Uh, but yeah, good, good to good to be chatting some cricket. Have been able to watch a bit in the meantime. Well, I mean, we'll we'll get to the quality of the coverage. But uh, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so uh, I'm sure you had you had a good time, and I enjoyed listening to you and Tim's thoughts as a fan. Uh, as you allude to, I was. I was at a volcano uh, that week when when you guys were available to record, so it didn't line up. But that was fun, seeing lava bubbling away, uh, just boiling out of the surface of the earth. It's uh, quite a quite a sight. And I mean, I guess to an Australian where we don't have these kinds of geographical phenomena, it's a, it's a especially mm, it's a, a novelty. Yeah, you've got uh, you've think the closest one from an Australian point of view is in the Pacific. Yeah, so I guess Tim. Uh, yeah, Tim's probably familiar with volcanoes these days. Uh, yeah, the one on Tanner. Uh, is one I've been to as well. I think that was about well, going back about five years ago. I think it was actually maybe just before Emerging Cricket started, actually. That's how long ago it was. Jeez, that feels like a lifetime ago. But I'm wondering, Nick, what are you rocking with in terms of packing, having moved halfway across the world? I'm I'm guessing you were kind of packing light in the first place. Like how many bags are you rocking with to get from Iceland to Denmark? Well, we've got three 20 kilo, like, check-in bags between us so we should be able to manage um yeah <laughs> you, you say packing like I, I thought i did pack light and then i got here and uh realized that i actually should have left quite a few things at home that i didn't need but uh you know you live and learn some some ill-advised clothing purchases uh haven't helped yeah <laughs> uh, these big Icelandic jumpers, uh, Faroese jumpers—they're beautiful, but they—they they just take up a lot of space in your in your luggage. Mm. I made the mistake of taking a jumper and tracksuit pants to Papua New Guinea, so I'm not winning any competitions mm. either. Thank you for your feedback and and your ears for the the show that Tim and I kind of put together and sent to you last week. 
Yeah, it was. We were a little bit dusty. I think we enjoyed making the most of what was the rest day, knowing that, yeah, we had a, a couple of drinks, and I think Tim was maybe drinking to forget what was a a pretty average Vanuatu campaign. They, yeah, we can we can get into we can that. we can get into that and and everything that's sort of gone along with it. They did get to two wins eventually at the tournament to finish third at the East Asia Pacific qualifier in Papua New Guinea for the ICC Men's T20 World Cup. Um, and after we recorded uh, last week, Papua New Guinea managed to do the business and, and end six from six. I think after we recorded on that rest day, they closed out the tournament. They beat the Philippines by an even 100 runs to secure the qualification. And then uh, they turned aside Japan on the last day in front of a pretty raucous crowd on the Saturday, which was great to see. Um, they packed it in nicely. They were vocal. They had a great reception and in the end doing the post-match presentation after the tournament and trying to talk to Norman Venura after um, the post-match presentation and his man of the match performance and having a chat to him. I almost couldn't hear him and he was two feet away from me. Such was the noise 40 metres away in the crowd. It was an unbelievable thing to be a part of and a great festival of cricket, particularly on the weekends where we got good numbers and yeah, as we saw, uh, Papua New Guinea went undefeated. Uh, they they definitely found, as we mentioned on last week's show, they, they definitely found themselves tucked away in a corner in a couple of times, but they did well to wriggle themselves out of trouble. I think they were four for 66 against Vanuatu in one particular game, uh, 76 for four against the Philippines in another. And we saw a couple of different guys stand up, actually in the middle order, particularly the bat. I thought Hiri Hiri had maybe his breakout tournament. And if you look so far at the top end T20 series, it's going on in the Northern Territory, which they flew straight away to. They barely celebrated. They flew out on the Sunday morning after they won on the Saturday. Um, they've just beaten the Melbourne Stars Academy uh, with Hiri Hiri making runs in that game as well. So he's enjoying a, a rich vein of form and he's starting to prove his medal at, at this level of uh, international cricket and, and cricket against high-end opposition uh, in the form of the Melbourne Stars Academy. A couple of young guys have stood up. Uh, John Carrico, as we mentioned on last week's show, left arm orthodox spinner. He was pipped to the most wickets by uh, Nalan Nipiko of Vanuatu, who actually took out player of the tournament when the dust had settled. And we'll probably talk about that in a minute. Preparation now is going to be so key for Papua New Guinea because I think at this level, the level they've just played at, and even though they've gone six from six, I think Japan and Vanuatu will rue a couple of missed opportunities and, and still think that they can back themselves to beat Papua New Guinea. I mean, I put it to both Vanuatu and Japanese camps at the back end of the tournament. And I said, if you play Papua New Guinea five times, how many times do you think you could beat them? And to be honest, both of them gave me an answer of between naught and one. They basically came to the same conclusion that they both need to have essentially the day of their lives to beat Papua New Guinea because there is just enough individual talent for PNG to kind of squeeze out of any sort of situation that a team might put them in and they've got depth outside the squad as we mentioned on last week's show and I'm sure there's going to be conversations between now and when they name the squad in roughly eight months time but they are a quality outfit and the the best team in this region Um, I need to give a shout out to the Philippines as well who also won a game and I think in two years time hopefully we see them back and a couple of the really young guys stood up for them Um, as we discussed on last week's show Kepler Lukey's with a man of the match performance in one particular game, taking a five-wicket haul, uh, three of the four overs he bowled in the power play. 
Liam Myatt was another young player who stood up for them and they've got a couple of young batters who are there, thereabouts. I think Daniel Smith would probably go at least one more cycle. But yeah, to kind of bring it back to, to PNG, it was a joy to have uh, Charles Amini next to me in the commentary mm. box. I learned so much from from him and, and just talking to, about cricket with him and, and life with him was just such a joy. I think it was probably the, the highlight personally of this week and a bit was to meet Charles Sr. and to see where Charles Jr. gets kind of his uh, maturity and his level-headedness from, uh, I thought was quite special. And he, he talked a lot about PNG cricket and, and I learned a lot about the Hunter Butter Village and and the way cricket and other sports had sort of grown in, in PNG and, and Charles Amini Sr. And obviously his family have played a big role in that. I mean, the ground is named in uh, the family's honour. I think it's actually named after Herrera, which is his great-uncle. Um, and it was more for his uh, Australian rules football exploits rather than his cricket. But in that regard, you know, it was it was a great tournament to be a part of. You know, some of the people that we dealt with on a day-to-day basis um, from Papua New Guinea were incredible people. Um, there were a few logis- logistical hurdles, and, and we'll get to them in a second. But I had a lot of fun covering covering this particular tournament, and it just sort of deepened my love of Pacific and East Asia Pacific cricket even more. And I think we're privileged somewhat in the position that we're in being emerging cricket that we can talk about it and give it some light. But it is a region of international cricket at the moment that needs a lot of love. I think it's a very under-resourced region in the grand scheme of international cricket. And you can see that by the the sprinkling and smattering of media attention over the last week or two, which many people and, and people within associate members in the East Asia Pacific are a bit frustrated by. And I'm sure we'll talk about that as well, but it it brings up the point and it evokes the point in me and I'm sure in you as well that we really do need something like emerging cricket and even, you know, the Japanese guys and Alan Kerr doing the Japanese cricket podcast. It, mm. It's about getting around each other and, and really ensuring that we, we give it as much press as it deserves because we've also got a women's tournament, a women's qualifier where seven teams are gunning for a global qualifier ticket later on in the pathway. And if it's not us making a big song and dance about that competition, then I'm not really sure who it's going to be. But yeah, there was a lot to unpack and, and a lot of feelings for, for Pacific cricket and what Pacific cricket can be, having been around all four teams over the last 12 days or so. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Um, cricket in the Pacific's in a, a really special spot. And I think it's a unique possibility because this is something that, you know, we've mentioned in the past, but, you know, the Australian government is looking to increase uh, engagement in the region and sports is one element of that. So there's a kind of a, a political tie-in that's also promising in terms of, you know, resources and, and uh, you know, increasing connections with teams like Australia and, and to a lesser extent New Zealand, who, who certainly uh, do a few things here and there. I think in terms of the tournament, uh, yeah, as you say, the coverage... It, it just, I know we we say it every time. It just it really is not good enough from ICC TV. And to hear that the uh, you know the ICC has extended the partnership with uh, with IMG and Crick Clubs uh, for another few months, it's just mind boggling because they've been putting out this substandard product for three plus years now, and and nothing's changed. It's 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 genuinely bewildering. And I guess the fact that they only put out the the result in this, you know, very lazily written um, press release. They only put that out like two days after it had happened. Uh, yeah. I, well, this is the thing, Nick. Sorry. 
uh, what I will say is that, yeah, that came out from marketing and communications on the 1st of August. ICC's like digital editorial team posted a story about the qualification hours after the tournament was done. So someone obviously wasn't reading the content. And yeah, like when the press release came through, I just thought it was my phone glitching out and being like three days late. And then I got a message from someone asking, has the press release just gone out about PNG qualifying for the T20 World Cup? And I I had to reply with, oh, it must have, because I just thought it was, I just thought it was my phone tripping out, to be honest. Well, yeah, and, and it just goes to this, this feeling that it just seems like people you know, at various levels of uh, the decision-making process, they're just not paying enough attention and they just don't care enough. And it, it comes through in the ICC TV. I mean, <laughs> yeah, let's go there. It it crashed a fair bit uh, as usual. You know, you kind of get used to that, unfortunately. Uh, but then, <laughs> you know, the, the entire first day, we just couldn't watch any cricket because there was, from I think from what we've heard, there was some issue with the internet provider and, uh, you know, something wasn't working and they had to scramble to, to find a, a solution for it for the next day. But, I mean, that's the kind of thing that you want to sort out before you actually start streaming. It, it's just a, yeah, a complete lack of care about the quality of product. And, it is frustrating because, you know, as you allude to, it was a really good product, you know, good crowds in, exciting matches, a lot of entertaining cricket happening in a in a region of the game that is a growing hotspot for, for cricket. And we just couldn't see it because someone somewhere, I, I don't, you know, there's, there's no point blaming individuals or anything, but, you know, someone somewhere messed up with the internet. And that's like, if you're streaming a product from PNG... Surely that's one of the most basic things that you want to sort out first is making sure you have a reliable internet connection. So it, it just, yeah, it, it's it's incredibly disappointing that these kinds of issues are still happening three years into the ICC streaming these games, and and it's it's hurting the teams. It's hurting the teams that are trying to get some interest back home. Why are these not just on YouTube? That's something everyone understands. You know, you have to go on this. Uh, frankly, not very good streaming service. Um, all these things kind of build up and it's just one more little like barrier to entry. And it doesn't make sense that the ICC is able to produce, on the one hand, an absolutely brilliant product with the World Cup qualifiers that we've just seen. And then when it gets back to these uh, regional finals, which let's remember, one of the, one of the, I guess, arguments for having regional finals as opposed to the big global qualifier, which was a premium ICC event, was that well, instead of having one premium event, we'll have five premium events and, and we'll we'll get the interest in each regional event and, and that'll be great. And in theory, that's a good way of doing it. And you know, building a, a profile for each regional final, I think is, is a sound idea. But the problem is instead of having five events with a high production value and, and you know the ICC actually promoting it, you have no events with high production value in the ICC promoting it. And it just looks cheap and nasty. And like nobody has remembered that it exists or nobody cares. You know, how, how can you get people to fall in love with this game when you show them the coverage and it looks like the ICC are embarrassed that they have to do it or something? It's It's just not good enough. Yeah, and the thing that annoys me is that at present, there is still no video evidence 
anywhere across any channels that Papua New Guinea actually qualified for the T20 World Cup. And that has been curtailed by the internet issues that happened at the ground. But you would think that the organization responsible for putting the stream together and actually recording the game would understand that, okay, if we find these technical issues, then why don't we cut up our own highlights package of this game that we still have recorded here, having filmed the game and cut up the highlights ourselves and then send them on. I feel like that is the minimum you can do when things haven't gone right um, from a technological standpoint. And yeah, there's it's a 12-match tournament and I think only eight of the games have highlight packages up and even all of those are... Uh, affected by interruptions in and out during the course of the tournament. And I think the first match, the package is basically like unwatchable because there's just too many glitches and stuff in it as well. Um, And it happens. It's not the first time it's happened. And it won't be the last. And it won't be the last. You know, we've seen issues at the Asia sub-regional qualifier um, that we'll talk about in a second and in Europe as well. And yeah, I just... I'd love to know what happens in the next cycle. There's a lot of contracts that come up for discussion and and for negotiation with the ICC. And it's going to be an interesting time because if we go back and talk about the annual revenue distribution model and where profits of the game is going to, it seems like because the organization is to serve its members and not necessarily be an international governing body of cricket, it actually means that they're kind of left in the lurch themselves in funding a lot of things that they want to fund and essentially taking money away from the members who need the money to go into streaming that goes back to the members, but you're only sort of robbing Peter to pay Paul in that situation. It could be potentially very dim viewing if if it kind of goes the way we think it's going to go. And tournaments like this are only going to see this coverage you know personally and a lot of players at this tournament are giving up uh they're taking annual leave to play at this tournament yeah or they're deferring their university studies to play at tournament i think it was ryan drake that alan was telling me about that's actually yeah, given up this semester of uni to actually be with the JCA and actually do some stuff with the JCA and play some cricket in Japan to prepare for the tournament. You know, people are putting off their lives essentially to try and qualify for a T20 World Cup. And I mean, even to commentate at this tournament, like I've taken leave from one job to do another job because like, I want to be someone who helps cricket thrive in regions like this not just eap but in in other sort of emerging markets and in different regions at regional qualifiers at sub-regional qualifiers whatever you know it's very disheartening to kind of see it not really take as much attention as it could i mean papua new guinea have qualified for their second t20 world cup and i'm sure you know the andrew leonard's the peter della Penas, the nikki chowdhury's michael mccann's of the world in europe are probably thinking the same thing about the Europe qualifier too. I mean, both Scotland and Ireland have just come back from the disappointment of not making the ODI Cricket World Cup and they've gone through a qualification process to play in the T20 World Cup in less than a year's time. I mean, we've got 
two global events now on the men's side. We've got one starting in early October. Like we're already in August. And then we've got a T20 World Cup that's just been announced for mid to late June. And then there's a women's T20 World Cup just a couple of months after that. So we're stretching ourselves too thin by how many global tournaments we have. And yeah, it's great that a lot of these teams get to go through qualification and they get their kind of travel and accommodation and their games funded because they're playing at ICC events. But what <laughs> if we're not going to give it the attention that it deserves, then you almost have to ask what the point of all of it is. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, you know, if the tree falls in the forest and no one hears it sort of situation, it just doesn't, I mean, yeah, well, why why are they doing this? And it, it, it'll get to a point where someone, some bean counter at the ICC will just kind of ask a question of, like, why why are we doing all these pathway events and no one's watching them? What's the point of them? Let's just do it on rankings. You know that's how the argument's going to go. So why are they not making the product as good as possible? Why are they not making it as accessible as possible? Okay, sure, you, you can't put it on YouTube because of contract you know, obligations or whatever. You know, those contracts are coming up for renewal pretty soon. That's something you should look at. Or even, you know, stream it on the ICC's Facebook page. They get a lot of, they always talk about how much engagement they get, uh, quote unquote, on their Facebook page and, and, you know, other social media platforms. Why not stream stuff on there where you already have that built-in audience of people following the page who, who will actually see it? And <laughs> imagine if they're, you know, beaming that out to everyone's Facebook feeds. You know, I think quite a few people probably would tune in. So... Yeah, it's just bizarre to me that they have this product, but they just never bother doing anything with it, and it just kind of exists there with with no real usage. I don't know. Yeah, it's very strange, and I I mean it's it's a symptom of the ICC being essentially not one organization but several kind of stitched together, and they're all pulling in different directions and. You know, you have the the full member side of things where it's it's more of a coordinating body between the full members to just build a schedule and and whatever. And um, then at the associate level, it's actually providing these pathways. And there's the commercial side who are just trying to sell the rights for as much as possible. And no one seems to be talking to each other. <laughs> Even taking into account the the power issues with you know the the ICC as an organisation being pretty powerless in the face of full members. You know, even taking that into account. They, there's a lot more they could do to make you know, at least try and push in the same direction and that's clearly not happening which is sort of at the root of a lot of these issues of just you know the, the, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing I guess and and that's creates issues like this where we have these excellent tournaments with uh, good local engagement and and that's something that you would want to see on on your you know on your TV screens or your computer screens and then you just can't see it it's it's yeah it's so frustrating and so disappointing but I guess to to move on from <laughs> the 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 frustrating parts, I guess we can talk about the actual cricket on the ground. Uh, you saw a lot of that, and and you obviously were commentating on, on every day's play. That was good to hear for the you know 17 people who were able to tune in without the website crashing. But you know, what what were your thoughts on? Uh, uh, let's say Vanuatu especially because uh, you know they're close to our hearts. It was a it was a tough outing for Chris Laffin. Uh, the new head coach and high-performance manager, replacing Ben Cameron, who had to go home in the middle of his uh, contract due to family issues. So, yeah, I mean, it's tricky to kind of assess from here what Chris's influence was on the team and, and, you know, kind of got handed a bit of a hospital pass coming in pretty late into the game. But uh, what were your thoughts on on that side of things especially? Yeah, just an inconsistency. You can can tell by the two wins late that, 
maybe the preparation in hindsight was a little bit chopped and changed around. And I think that came actually down to the four guys who were away um, on seasonal work and not being able to play in that Australian Indigenous series at home. Um, we had, yeah, quite a, a few of those guys at the tournament have quite disappointing campaigns. It was kind of summed up when Patrick Matatava um, tore a muscle in his hamstring and retired hurt and Ronald Tari went and captained the final two games. And interestingly enough, you know, they managed to win the games that Ronald Tari leads them in. So I'm not too sure what was going on in Queensland, especially when, you know, a lot was promised about the fact that they get to train while they're over there, the company in question and the VCA have an agreement as to, you know, how those guys are paid and them being available for the tournament itself. Uh, I think the only, yeah, one of the only positives of the campaign was Nal Nipico winning player of the tournament and it was just an outstanding performance, more so with the ball, but he came through and played a couple of really good knocks with the bat. And there just wasn't enough enough help around him. You know, Matt Altava never got going with the bat. Junior Kautzpah never got going with the bat, dropped at least two gilt-edged chances in the field. It might have been three. They dropped three catches in a defeat to the Philippines and all those players went on to make scores. Uh, yeah, and it was, I think it was quite a deflating campaign and they would rue a lot of issues they had with the bat and against spin in particular. One thing that kind of sets PNG apart in this region is the fact that they can turn the strike over against spin really well, especially in the middle overs. Mm. Legasiaka was immense in the middle overs with Hiri and a couple of other players in the mid, in, in middle over situations where the field was out. And if you look at the way Vanuatu batted, there wasn't enough presence in the middle. There wasn't enough busyness. It was almost like they were just playing the ball and just hoping, not really a fear of failure because I don't think there's that pressure being put on them by the new coach in Chris Laffin, who seems like he's he's got a bit about him actually like the way he coaches he is a teacher it's something that they wanted to kind of bring in just that i think more holistic approach to create coaching and jeff cook was there as an assistant who has a, a great track record both playing and coaching representative teams actually the indigenous team that went over there as well so they brought him in with a, a bit of experience and and he's a good guy to have in in the camp too but yeah, turning the strike over just seemed a real difficulty for them. And the dot balls that they endured and soaked up, you know, I don't have the numbers next to me, but they'd have to have played out the most dot balls at the tournament. And they just left themselves in a hole too often against spin in middle over situations and even let the spinners in the power play probably get on top of them. They didn't really play to the conditions in that there was, you know, this prevailing breeze across Amini Park and I can only really think of a handful of times they actually took the game on hitting downwind and they yeah didn't really show a lot of game smarts there were a couple of good knocks from Andrew Mansale um, and as I said Nala Nipico was excellent on both sides but yeah they just never found a rhythm and funnily enough every single team at the tournament used every single member of their 15-man group but the way the Vanuatu went about it especially with the change at the top of the order and the injury to Patrick Matatava on top of it they never found a real semblance and in two years time I think most of the guys come back but I'm a little bit worried about the future for Vanuatu in that you know their 19s team had you can't really polish uh (laughs) you, you can't you can't really see a whole lot of positives out of that campaign outside of maybe Kendrick Curran on a Vanuatu front so the group now is the group that kind of has to be the the group that goes on and gets to the next level and how they do that is the million dollar question 
Japan, on the other hand, is the other team that really challenged PNG. Well, challenged for for second spot and and were probably clear second place finishes. Really, I think they have got one. They've got depth. Two, they've got a couple of unbelievable individual players. And three, the 19s coming through. There's a bit about them as well, um, and we'll see a couple of them actually in the Asian game squad come in because there's a few guys that don't qualify for Japan on an Asian games front, different eligibility rules as the ones that are in place by the ICC. And they're all young guys coming through, you know, Koji Hargrave Abe, Kazuma Kato Stafford, Kenta DeBell. They're all players that, you know, are young coming through. Ashley Thurgate's another kid coming through. They don't even pick Marcus Thurgate in the squad. You know, he was the under-19 World Cup captain three years ago. So I just feel there's a bit more going on in Japan at the moment in terms of a development front but the age-old question is you know how much international experience are these guys going to get or how much high-end quality cricket are they going to play between now and the next cycle to challenge PNG I mean ultimately PNG are the yardstick in this region and we've talked about this for the best part of half an hour and again it comes back to the same point you know how many times will these guys have to play PNG before they take a game off them we know Vanuatu have beaten them in the past um, but that was four years ago and and we haven't really seen if well i mean if anything we've seen Vanuatu maybe regress in that four years time and not progress so yeah it's an interesting time in the region and it just comes back to the chicken and egg question of you know well if there isn't a whole lot of money pumped through this region and these guys don't get to play a lot of international cricket then how's it going to get any better you know you need to spend money to make money if you're the icc in this situation and if you don't fund these boards to get better then t20 cricket alone is not the global vehicle for the game it's the progress of these teams actually playing the format of the game that makes the game better and it makes the game grow not just the format magically making everyone better yeah i think that's a good point about just the lack of cricket you know png as much as they struggled in the last cricket world cup league two cycle they were playing a lot of games they were on the field you know consistently they were playing against good opposition they were getting you know quality cricket in Whereas, you know, a lot of these guys, yes, there's been a couple of, uh, you know, uh, tournaments in the Pacific and, and, and that's good. But at the same time, they're not they're not playing high quality cricket uh, at the same consistent pace as PNG. So, yeah, it, it's it's difficult with these, uh, you know, pathway events and, and qualification is that, you know, once you're kind of up in that next level up, you get a lot of cricket against better teams and that allows you to, uh, you know, to keep improving. Uh, and then, you know, when you come back down a level, you, you can apply that uh, experience. And, and we saw that with PNG. And uh, yeah, I think it, it's, it is worth dwelling on the point about spin that you mentioned there. Um, you know, John Carrico, second highest wicket taker. The, the pitches actually, they looked pretty spin friendly, uh, which is interesting because... Very spin friendly, yeah. Uh, typically, you would sort of expect a mini park to be uh, a high scoring ground um, so so that was interesting but yeah Carrico with an economy rate of three over the whole tournament you know that he <laughs> was just impossible and yes we know uh, left arm spin is is the associate cheat code or, or even you know just all cricket really left arm spin is is very difficult to get away but yeah he, he just kind of showed and, and even you know Kepler Lukis from the Philippines that five wicket haul against Vanuatu it is a real Achilles heel for them. And I'm not sure where they go from here because in theory, they should be able to face decent spin bowling with the hybrid pitches in Vanuatu 
being relatively uh, accommodating to spin. So it's not like they haven't seen a spin-friendly surface before. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe <laughs> poor old Tim Cutler just needs to bowl, you know, thousands of deliveries at them uh, in the nets so they can uh, so they can figure out how to deal with left arm spin. But it, or maybe it's a, a a situation like the USA where they have plenty of left arm spin to face, but they just always fall apart against it anyway. I, I don't know. It's uh, yeah, it was disappointing, and I think it's no coincidence that. You know, that game against Japan that Vanuatu actually won. <laughs> uh, Nalan Nipiko hit 74 not out and took four for 20. So, yeah, I, th- I think he was definitely the standout player for them in the tournament. And, yeah, that, it, there just wasn't enough support, was there? You know, no, nobody else really came close in terms of run scoring. Uh, nobody else really provided that many wickets. I mean, Matt Altava, while he was there, bowled okay, but... Yeah, it's pretty pretty thin pickings for them in terms of the bat. And yeah, Nipico again, that game against the Philippines where, where Kepler Lukis did take his five wicket haul, again it was Nipico holding things together even as everyone else was getting out around him, hitting yeah, thirty odd not out to, to get them home in a, a pretty small chase. Yeah, disappointing stuff from Vanuatu in this tournament. But as you say, you know, it it is it is a competitive region and yeah, I just where where do they get more sort of cross regional competition or even just more exposure to PNG, who are the the gold standard of the region? It'll be interesting, as you say, how these teams kind of develop over the next few years because a number of the senior Vanuatu guys are getting on. You know, Matt Altava, I think, is sort of 32, 33. Nipiko's not that much younger. Mansale is kicking on. I think he's 37. Yeah, Mansali as well. So the the core of that team is getting a little older, and you know where are they going to find the next lot of players? You know, Junior Kaltapal, he looks the goods. You know, he has so much time on the ball. He's he's such a quality player, and he just oozes class. It, but it, you know, you don't want him to become another Legasiaka. Where you watch Legasiaka when he's in full flow, you think, you know, why is this guy not playing every franchise league? And and you know, there was some talk really early on in his career that he, he might actually qualify to play for Australia. That obviously never went anywhere. You know, he, he's a high-quality player, but then I, I would argue that the fact that PNG have been kind of stuck down here has sort of stunted his growth as a player. You know, he, he's been very inconsistent. He's been, uh, you know, he's found it difficult to put together scores where, you know, he applies his talent consistently. And, and you know, I hope Junior Kaltapau I know he's still only what 23 or something. He's got plenty of time on his side, but I hope you know guys like him don't become you know the next uh, legacy Yaka and, and they find a way to you know, test themselves against good opposition and and actually develop that talent that they you know they very clearly have. Yeah, uh, Kaltapau was disappointing in this tournament. You know, people have bad tournaments. That's not necessarily uh, something to worry about too much. But uh, yeah, I just. Yeah, where where do they find that improvement is is kind of the question. I think also, you know, talking about the coaching, I, I wonder if this is just something that's occurred to me. Would would Jared Allen being involved, uh, maybe in a few years' time once he once he stops playing? I don't know. I get the feeling that Jared Allen might be a good fit for um some involvement in the coaching setup because uh, he he knows the players, he knows the culture very well, um, but he he also sort of has that that other side of of having played competitively. Uh, you know, high-level grade cricket in Melbourne, and he has that uh, very competitive edge, and and he he desperately wants to win cricket matches, which yeah, just at times Vanuatu have been a bit lackadaisical with with some of their you know some of their shot selection, some of their you know those those five percent decisions that 
add up over the course of a of a game. Tim Cutler also qualifies in March or something, mm. so that, that that's another thing to consider as well. But we'll let everyone else linger on that. <laughs> uh, I think we can move on to the Asian sub regional qualifier that's going on. Uh, qualifier B for the ICC Men's T Twenty World Cup, the same competition that the East Asia Pacific teams were battling it out for. Looking at this group, it was a five-team group, Malaysia, Thailand, Bhutan, China, and Myanmar. China making their T20I debut as well as Myanmar. And uh, out of those particular teams, with this tournament being around Robin, we saw uh, a first T20I victory for China at the tournament, beating Myanmar by five wickets. It was a tough initiation for China, having been bowled out for 23, as we mentioned on last week's show, and Siaz Religious taking seven for eight in just four overs. Um, they did manage to take two of Malaysia's wickets uh, in their pursuit of 24. But looking at the rest of the tournament, Bhutan um, bettered China and Myanmar, but couldn't beat Thailand or Malaysia. And then I suppose in the de facto final, as we see quite often in these ICC events, uh, Malaysia were much too strong for Thailand, um, winning by seven wickets and with almost nine overs to spare. Siders is actually top scored in that chase. It was very much the, the type of chase that someone like Siders is would be licking his lips by a small target that they can chase down and have an early afternoon. But uh, looking at this particular qualifier, it was Malaysia at home were always going to be a class above. Uh, and in the end, we, we sort of, saw that in spite of what you could perceive was a Thailand challenge. There are a couple of good performances there in that de facto final. Robert Reiner took two for 17, for instance, trying to pull things back. But yeah, Malaysia well and truly the the strongest team in in this particular field and moving on in the pathway uh, with the regional final beginning in late October and early November. Yeah, sometimes we see upsets in sport and sometimes we see things sort of more or less go according to how you would expect. And this was one of the more predictable tournaments. Yeah, Malaysia well in advance, Thailand a step behind them, and then uh, sort of Bhutan and then China and Myanmar bringing up the rear. Yeah, that, that's more or less what you would expect. I was a little bit surprised by uh, China beating Myanmar, actually. Yeah, it was the first time that China have recorded a victory in uh, men's T20Is. So congratulations to them on that one. Uh, they have, of course, beaten teams in... Uh, you know, official ICC cricket before, but yeah, it's nice to get the, uh, you know, the recognition on that one. But yeah, I, I mean, China's an interesting one in that uh, a few years ago, more so on the women's side, as, as Tim mentioned last week, uh, there was a lot of excitement around, you know, their women's team potentially breaking through, but but that sort of, um, I don't want to say it hasn't eventuated. I, I think they were, they were building, but, you know, two, three years of Chinese kind of lockdowns and, and uh, just the zero COVID policy from the government, basically making it impossible to get in or out of the country <laughs> sort of derailed a lot of their cricketing plans. So it'll be interesting to see how they go for the next couple of years and whether they can rebuild some of that momentum um, and whether the men's team can try and capture that as well. Certainly, I, th- I think hosting the Asian Games and having uh, having their team in that will be helpful. Uh, you know, China is a country where Basically, if there's no <laughs> if there, if there's no uh, uh, if there's no medals attached to it, uh, you can forget about it. So, being involved in these big multi-sport games, obviously the Olympics is the big one. But uh, you know, I, th- I think that is certainly helpful for China. Um, but it's not a sufficient condition; it's just a necessary one. But 
yeah, I mean, Thailand's men, it, it is interesting to see how much success the women are having. And, you know, the men are sort of stuck down here at, at sub-regional level. And uh, it's something to, I, I guess, for a lot of associate teams are looking at that and, and, and seeing that as a as a plausible, uh, you know, development pathway. But uh, I think that the men's team is slowly improving. There has been more effort recently to get them sort of up to standard. But yeah, it's it's a long process. And as you say, Malaysia at this level are definitely too good. It will be interesting to see how Malaysia go at the regional final, which is going to be an eight-team event. Uh, we ha- still haven't seen who the last team's going to be. Uh, the other sub-regional qualifier involves Kuwait, Maldives, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia, which is going to be another tight group. Um, yeah, I mean, you'd think Maldives would struggle, but any of the other three teams, uh, I think, are very capable of, of making it. And... Um, yeah, I mean, looking looking at that regional final, UAE, Nepal, Hong Kong, Singapore, Oman, Bahrain, Malaysia, and then you know TBA. I, I don't see Malaysia making a serious push for the top two and and uh, you know a spot at the T20 World Cup, which is kind of a shame because uh, you know we've we sort of discussed this uh, a bit in the past that their men's team they they're just sort of stuck in a bit of a rut at that not quite good enough at the top associate level, even though they can uh, dominate at home against. You know, weaker opposition, and and they've they they do have some talented players. They just yeah, they do struggle a bit to make the step up. And yeah, I mean overall the the sub regional here more or less went according to plan for them. But uh, yeah, hopefully they can figure out a way to make more of an impact uh, at the next level up. You mentioned that China don't get out of bed until there's medals at stake. Well, there are medals at stake uh, in cricket in the form of the Asian Games coming up and. We're trying to make sense of the format still. The tournament starts, at, well, the game start at the end of September. Um, talking to the guys at Japan about it, they're, they're not too sure how it's going to go either. There's a very good chance that they may play one game and finish up and hang around in the athletes' village for the best part of the entire games. But I mean, that's not the worst thing. Yeah, correct. Uh, Japan have named their squad, as mentioned um, a little bit early in the show. There's a few guys that have to sit out because they don't meet the eligibility criteria uh, on the Asian Games front. You know, the guys like Saburo Shravichandran, Piyush Kambare, Supunavaratna, I believe, um, also doesn't qualify. So they see three changes. Alex Shirapatmore will be in a race against time to be fit after doing his calf at the tournament. Um, Shogo Kimura will come in the baseball that we know his story uh, Kazumikato Stafford who we mentioned from the under-19s he's in oh and Ashley Thurgate who we know quite well Kento Alter Bell, Marcus Thurgate and Jun Yamashita are the three reserves but yeah looking at the Asian games it, it's a tough sort of format to explain to people so basically on the men's side for instance but just to give you an idea of how the format sort of lines up on the men's side, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, and India uh, all have quarterfinal places locked up. Afghanistan and China play a match to determine who plays India in that quarterfinal. And then there's these three pods of four, two knockout games each in them that you play those two, then you play the knockout game between the two winners of those groups of four um, to go on and play those teams already in the quarterfinals. So it's all a little bit confusing and it's played at the Zhejiang University of Technology cricket field in Hangzhou. We're not too sure what the facility is going to look like after the tournament finishes. There's talk that um, it will be bulldozed over. Um, It's short on one side. Um, So again, it'll be very interesting to see and what to make of all of that. 
and the teams have been seeded by their rankings as of June 1st, which doesn't bode well for Japan because their sort of ranking even before this East Asia Pacific tournament was quite low as well, although you'd probably see them jump a little bit. But yeah, I don't really have any more to kind of give you on this, Nick, and, and I don't know what you're working with here either. But yeah, from the 28th of September to the 7th of October, we have Asian Games cricket for the first time since 2014 i believe so uh looking forward to that and yeah you never know what will come out of a tournament like that yeah i mean always good to get to get cricket into a multi-sport games as as we as we always say i think the format yeah it's convoluted and it it's sort of yeah it, it looks complicated but at the same time like i understand what they're trying to do in that you have the sort of these this like mini knockout tournament to sort of weed out the weaker teams and then go straight to the quarterfinals and the medal games. I think there's some merit to it, but I feel like it could have been, yeah, probably better explained. It's almost two tournaments at once in that there's the quarterfinals and the medal games, and there's also the sort of the knockout tournament for for everybody else. Just one of the strange things is, yeah, there's the mini knockout tournament for kind of everyone else, but then there's Afghanistan plays China, and they go straight from there into a quarterfinal against India, which I don't know what the logic was. Maybe it's because they don't have enough teams to, to make it all sort of fit evenly or something. But yeah, that that seems like a very uh, unbalanced matchup. If you're going to have a direct playoff to go to the quarterfinal, you'd think you might have someone like Afghanistan against, say, a Nepal or, or a UAE who are among the leaders of the sort of rest of the pack. But uh, yeah, I mean... More teams is always good. I think uh, the fact you've got, what, 14, 15 teams or something in the women's side and then almost 20 in the men's side uh, <laughs> really really puts the men's uh, the men's World Cup and the women's World Cup to shame uh, if, if, you know, the Asian Games are able to have this many teams. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think it should be a pretty entertaining first couple of rounds with, with the mini knockout and this... A uh, bit of a tangent, but it reminds me of what you know the the, the Champions Trophy used to be. You know the ICC Knockout Cup, um, and depending on how this goes, maybe you know maybe someone will take some notes and and they can try and revive that idea because I think there's some merit to a a quick fire knockout tournament being played in cricket and and it could be very entertaining. So one to keep an eye on for sure. I think the format has some question marks around it, but I, I do appreciate that they're trying to find a sort of novel way of bringing in a lot of teams without it taking forever to get through all the games. So, yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's good overall, but could probably have explained it a bit better. And that, that little point, sorry, just uh, as, as you say about the, the cricket field being bulldozed, that is incredibly disappointing if that's what ends up happening. You know, I, I would hope that you know, the ICC and or the, the Chinese Cricket Administration and, and whoever else might try and uh, you know lobby the uh, the owners of the land to keep it as a cricket facility because it, it makes a huge difference just having access to a good facility to help build the game and 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 build a you know a consistent uh, team with with training facilities and whatnot. But um, yeah, I guess uh, the the Chinese government will do what it wants to do on on that front. As mentioned, the 28th of September to the 7th of October, uh, the 2020, well, it's officially the 2022 Asian Games uh, held in 2023, a la uh, the Tokyo Olympics. Anyway, uh, a wrap on the European qualifiers. Uh, we mentioned Ireland and Scotland were morals to go through. They both did the job in the end. The last game ended up being a bit of a classic. I know it didn't really mean a terrible lot, but Scotland able to hold on despite a late 
rearguard action from Ireland in their chase of 200 plus. Whether or not you can say hand on heart that, you know, in this region, out of the, the two teams here, Scotland are the stronger, although you need to remember as well that the, the Dutch did everyone a service in this region by mm. qualifying for the next T20 World Cup automatically. But looks good for Scotland. Uh, a couple of guys who have come in in recent times, Brad Curry was great and in the wickets for them at this particular tournament. Brandon McMullen, again, continues to show what he's all about. Ollie Hares has reversed his international retirement to come through and make um, a big, fast, swashbuckling 100. And then, you know, the the likes of some of the other players around, the Richie Barringtons of the world, George Munsey launching it, um, a little bit about them with the ball as well. Scotland, you've got to say, had a good week of cricket uh, at the European qualifier and yeah, again, even after giving most of the teams a nudge in that Cricket World Cup qualifier on the 50-over side, unfortunately missing out on a 10-team tournament, uh, they were pretty strong qualifiers here and I think can make the case of, of giving a pretty good account of themselves in the USA and the West Indies next year. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Brad Curry there. Uh, <laughs> 5 for 13 in that game against Ireland. Nobody else went for under 10 and over and he's going there at 3.5 and over in his four overs. Uh, so good effort there in that last game, which was, as you say, both teams had already qualified. So it uh, was sort of a dead rubber, but uh, it was it was great entertainment for the sort of 2,000 2, plus people who, who'd who come into the Grange to, to watch the match. Um, unfortunate, again, that there was no ball by ball coverage. And yeah, I don't know. We, we've made this point about the coverage before, but it is really disappointing that you have this fantastic product of, you know, 213 plays 205 with an amazing rear guard action and a five wicket haul and uh, lots of exciting things going on. But uh, yeah, as you say, Brandon McMullen has uh, really come into his own uh, over the last, yeah, the the qualifier and, and this tournament as well. Ollie Hare being back is interesting because he hadn't played for Scotland for, I don't know, what, almost five years or something since since he'd last made an appearance, I think, wasn't it? Uh, not too much less than that if it, if it was, but... Uh, yeah, blasted a ton against Italy. Uh, he's been uh, rapid at the top of the order there, so that could be uh, a good find for them, or a good uh, a good guy to have back. I think it, if nothing else, it adds a bit to their squad depth, which is which is helpful. Uh, with and just a couple of guys getting on in age, you know, Leesk, Barrington, these kinds of guys are uh, definitely on the wrong side of thirty. Um, but yeah, Barrington also has has been solid in this tournament. Uh, hit a Pretty rapid half century in that game against Ireland, um, and but yeah, worth definitely giving a shout out to Mark Adair, 72 off 36 coming in at uh, number eight down the order, and uh, <laughs> you know Scotland looked dead and buried, uh, losing what two wickets in the first over, and then uh, another couple of wickets within the power play, five for 70, six for 90, seven for 108. I mean. You don't win too many matches coming back from that, and ultimately they didn't. But they gave it a, a red hot crack with, uh, yeah, Mark Adair blasting sixes all over the ground, and yeah, but Curry came back and, and got rid of him. So yeah, a seesawing, exciting game, a great advertisement for the sport, and of course, yeah, just not enough coverage of it. But uh, yeah, the two teams you would expect again made it through uh, Scotland and Ireland, but Ireland. They looked wobbly for sure. You know, Italy pushed them in that game. You, you know, you think uh, they were missing one or two of their county guys in that game against Ireland. If they had that available, could they have got over the line against Ireland? It's, it's not too hard to imagine. So um, Italy looking like they're getting a bit better 
at that sort of second level down uh, in, in associate cricket in Europe. And especially with better access to a number of uh, pros who play their cricket either in the Australian or, or English systems, uh, you know, the, the pros, the overseas guys, that's uh, that's been very helpful for their team, uh, whether they can uh, build around that and, and get a kind of more sustainable pipeline of talent coming through as well from Italy is is another question. But um, yeah, Italy definitely looked to be on the up. I mean, I would say Jersey would be a bit disappointed with their performance. There were a few games where they were in positions that, you know, you think one or two things go differently and, and they could have got a different result, especially, you know, their first match against Scotland. They only lost by 14 runs and uh, in the chase, you know, Jonty Jenner looked like he was about to get going and then got out to a pretty silly shot. Uh, you know, just a bit of a nothing. You know, Nick Greenwood looked solid as well, and then he kind of gave it away with a soft dismissal to to Sharif. So, yeah, they're just they they let themselves down in this tournament, I would say, because they they do have the talent to to push these teams. You know, you you see guys like Jenner and and Greenwood and Co. and and there's no reason they can't win, but they just never seem to quite put it all together and uh, and get over the line. So. I think they'll be they'll be disappointed with themselves if if they're being honest and yeah a bit of a bit of a shocker for Denmark yeah uh, missing a couple of players but not really uh, getting into gear even with even with the guys that they did have so yeah some some disappointing uh, results there Germany again you'd think they they would have wanted to push uh, you know especially teams like Italy or Jersey a bit further but uh, unfortunately. They, they couldn't really uh, muster that. And Austria, yeah, I mean, they're definitely a cup below. It was a bit of an upset that they made it through to the regional final at all. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they, they played like a team coming up from the sub-regionals. No, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head with European qualifiers. And, yeah, having been involved in a, in a different regional qualifier over the last week, it has been a little bit difficult to keep up. But from what I have seen, yeah, I, I can't really disagree with, with what you've put through there and yeah I think for, from your front Nick Denmark would have been a little bit disappointing it'd be interesting to see actually in terms of Italy how many of the Italian guys hang around for the Challenge League playoffs early next year on the 50 over side um, and what that roster looks like um, in terms of them trying to keep themselves afloat from a 50 over standpoint and who actually sort of qualifies in that event once we do get to it so their roster I suppose you could call of of players who are eligible and now playing international cricket for them how many of them will be available it's during the Australian summer we believe so the the two Menentes for instance might not be available for that we'll sort of cross that bridge when we get to it but that's all very interesting but yeah we've seen three T20 World Cup entrants on the men's side for next year's tournament two through the European qualifier, and then, of course, PNG uh, this week in the EAP region. A little bit of news to get through. First, Namibia off to the under-19 Men's Cricket World Cup after winning the six-team African qualifier in Tanzania. The Walvis Bay Salt Eagles stayed ahead of the chase in Kenya with a win on the last day over Nigeria, avoiding net run rate calculations to come into play. 14 teams are now confirmed for the Under-19 Men's Cricket World Cup with upcoming Americas and Europe qualifiers in August to determine the final two competing nations. An Isle of Man's women have clean-swept Austria in an away T20I series at the Seabarn Cricket Ground. Isle of Man chased down targets of 1-2-3, 94 and 1-2-9 in the series to return 3-0 winners. And I think that wraps up this week's Emerging Cricket Podcast, Nick. 
glad to talk to you on all things emerging cricket and good luck uh, with your flights to Denmark and, and that little uh, next part of your journey, I, I suppose. Uh, good luck with it all. Yeah, well, next time we speak, it'll be from Denmark. So that'll, that'll be Oof. good. To keep up with news and events from the game's new world, log on to EmergingCricket.com and follow Emerging Cricket wherever you are on social media as well as the podcast on all your usual listening spots. On behalf of myself, Daniel Beswick and Nick Skinner, it's goodbye from the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Yeah, time. Wow.